and welcome back to Scottish Independence Podcasts. Our podcast episode this week is from yet another party conference. This time it's the Scottish Greens. We have speeches from the two co-leaders, Lorna Slater and Patrick Harvey, reflecting on a, a year with Greens in government and also announcing some of their priorities for the year ahead. I thought this was a very upbeat and positive speech. There's things in it that are progressive and exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how they turn out in practice. If you'd like to watch the video version of these speeches, they're available on the Scottish Greens YouTube channel. Conference. The Greens are a voice for peace the world over, and that voice is needed now more than ever. We are a party of compassion, of hope, of equality. Over the last two years, it has been our privilege to put these values into practice, to roll up our sleeves and take action for people and for planet. That's what the Scottish Greens do every day, in our parliament, in town halls across our country, and in our communities. Conference, it has been a year since we met in Dundee. And what a year! We've more than doubled the Scottish child payment, supporting families all over Scotland and lifting 90,000 children out of poverty. We inflation-proofed Scottish benefits at a time when Westminster has been attacking the most vulnerable. We delivered the biggest expansion of the living wage since devolution and ensured worker representation as a condition for Scottish government funding. We delivered a rent cap and protections for tenants that go far beyond anywhere else in the UK. The Greens are delivering for Scottish people, and we are delivering for our planet too. At COP26 in Glasgow, I announced a new nature restoration fund. Conference, we made that happen. And since that day, I have overseen record investment in nature restoration across Scotland. To date, over 30 million pounds has gone to restoring wetlands, expanding Scotland's rainforests, and saving threatened species. We delivered a historic ban on fox hunting and are consulting on our proposal to ban cruel snares. We are the first and only part of the UK to have banned permission for new incinerators. 670,000 young people are enjoying free bus travel. We are rolling out 20 miles per hour speed limits, bike lanes and low traffic neighbourhoods. We brought ScotRail and the Caledonian Sleeper into public ownership. We scrapped peak rail fares making public transport cheaper for all, ending the two-tier pricing system and saving thousands of pounds for people who have no choice about when they travel. These are not just important changes, crucial changes. They are green changes, policies that we can only deliver in government. These changes have never been more urgent. We are putting money into people's pockets during a cost of living crisis and we are taking action on climate. Conference, the climate crisis is here. It is now, and it threatens all of us. We saw it last week when large parts of our country were underwater. Homes were flooded, families evacuated, lives lost. Flood defenses built less than 10 years ago that were meant to stand unbreached for centuries failed. Climate breakdown is moving faster than we ever thought it could across Scotland and across the world. What was once unthinkable is the new normal. 
The action we take now is vital to protect ourselves and future generations. Behind this action lies a huge opportunity, an opportunity to build an inclusive, equal and vibrant economy in Scotland that is based on the green infrastructure and technologies that we need to build. That's why in government we have focused so much effort on the three key pillars of a green economy, green transport, green homes and green energy. Free buses and cheaper trains help households with their bottom line, but they also increase mobility and create economic opportunity. Alongside this, we are making record investments in active travel and expanding and decarbonizing our railways. Greens in government are using the powers and resources available to us to create the modern European transport system that we need. Greens are also investing in homes across Scotland. Patrick Harvey, as the Minister responsible for zero carbon homes, will tell you more shortly about how his work is upgrading homes the length and breadth of the country. Finally, the third pillar, green energy. With Greens in government, the green energy sector is growing, thriving. Already, there are over 28,000 jobs in green energy, and last year, renewables in Scotland grew at almost twice the rate that they did in England. Greens in government are champions for green energy, focused on growing this essential industry and ensuring local communities and Scotland as a whole benefit. Last month, the Scottish Government published the onshore wind sector deal an agreement that will see the onshore wind industry double in size and make big investments in local communities and the supply chain. Today, I'm pleased to announce that the Scottish Government's forthcoming energy strategy and just transition plan will commit to a bold deployment ambition of at least four, but up to six gigawatts of solar power by 2030. That's 10 times our current solar generating capacity. This ambition will be contingent on the industry committing to an appropriate level of community benefit and ensuring that biodiversity standards are met. It will give Scotland's growing solar industry the confidence they need to invest, create jobs and help us accelerate the transition to green energy. Green transport, green homes and a green energy transition require money to pay for them. The Scottish Greens support the principle of progressive taxation. In Scotland, most people pay less tax than those in England, while those who can contribute more, pay more. We made that happen. Our income tax changes have meant that a billion pounds more every year is being invested in public services across Scotland. We all benefit from that. Better schools, hospitals, libraries, we are empowering councils to double council tax for second homes and have introduced legislation that will allow councils to charge a levy on overnight stays by tourists. Greens in government mean fairer taxes, more investment in our public services, and making polluters pay, as any party who is serious about the climate crisis should be. That's why today I am announcing that the Scottish Government will take forward two key proposals for tax powers for our councils to raise revenue and to take climate action. 
We will work with our partners in local government to empower councils to charge visiting cruise ships a levy. This will mean communities that host cruise ships get the investment they deserve. And it is my intention to ensure that councils are empowered to charge the most polluting ships more. This is essential. A typical ship produces the same amount of carbon emissions as 12,000 cars. Operators have been allowed to get away with polluting for too long. A cruise ship levy will empower councils to help tackle this global problem. The second new power for councils has its origins in the passing of the landmark Climate Change Act in 2018. Our climate spokesperson, Mark Ruskell, used that bill to secure the creation of Scotland's Climate Assembly. In government, we are acting on the recommendations made by that assembly. The Climate Assembly proposed a carbon land tax to help drive forward critical changes like woodland creation and peatland restoration. The John Muir Trust have since developed this into a proposal for a local tax. Conference, we are taking the first step towards a carbon land tax. I'm pleased to announce today that the Scottish Government will, in partnership with colleagues in councils, explore a local carbon land tax and other policy options to create a fiscal incentive to restore peatlands and create more woodland, with a view to consulting on the preferred option. Before I was elected in Parliament, I was a project manager in the renewable sector. I was on the team that launched the biggest tidal turbine into Scottish waters, and in that time, I worked with people across Scotland and Europe, 11 companies in six European countries. It was a great feat of engineering and a tribute to the immense skills that we have here in Scotland. In that role, I was on the front line of the green energy revolution in Scotland. I used to build the turbines. Now I'm helping build the energy strategy for the whole nation. In this position, it has become clearer to me than ever before how being a secondary government to Westminster strictly limits our ability to do things differently. We are using the powers and budget available to us to build a green, inclusive and vibrant economy. But on so many of the key decisions, our hands are tied behind our back. Conference, that is why the movement for our planet and the movement for independence are so linked. It is only with independence that we can have the economic levers that will make the biggest difference so that we can protect ourselves from Rishi Sunak and his climate climb down, so that we can stop the environmental catastrophe of the Rosebank oil field. It is only with independence that Scotland can rejoin the European and international communities and help drive forward the global action that we need. The challenges of government are not just the result of limits of devolution and the Tories' disrespect for the Scottish Parliament. A coalition of powerful interests 
who profit from the status quo have emerged to fight back against green policies. A coalition who would sacrifice our common future for another day's profit at the planet's expense. A coalition against change. I have seen their full force in the chamber, in the right-wing media, and on social media. I experience their bile every day. I have seen the depths of contempt that they hold for women in politics. They say that they care about our climate, our future, but they oppose action every step of the way. When I tried to introduce a can and bottle recycling scheme, they acted as if the world was going to end. They said it went too far. They said that all we had to do was wait for the UK scheme, a scheme with no details, no dates, and no plan. Conference of the Coalition Against Change, all lined up together, all of them, the Tories, Labour, and all of the vested interests and their friends. They lined up together and tried to remove me. It did not work. work because this isn't about me, it's about all of us. It's about our movement. They failed and they will continue to fail because the green movement has the momentum. Our movement is the future. Conference, the Westminster parties are part of the coalition against change. They are dropping even the most basic climate action. Simple low emission zones, too bold. Saying no to new coal mines and new oil and gas drilling in a climate emergency, unthinkable. So many of the steps we are taking here in Scotland are the steps they've told us are not possible. That is why they're trying to roll back devolution. That is why they are trying so hard to overturn Scottish democracy. The Tories know that they can't win here. They know that the people of Scotland have rejected them and we will reject them time and again. They can see the climate is in chaos. They can see that the climate chaos that we are in, but they are doubling down on fossil fuels that are causing it. The world is burning. What could be more reckless than granting permission for Rosebank Oilfield? And as for Labour, they can't even bring themselves to oppose it. They would rather keep the big decisions on climate with the Tories in Westminster than with Scotland. Does anyone really believe that Sir Keir Starmer would change anything? Whether it's Brexit, Rosebank, the two-child cap, or trans rights, Starmer is forcing Labour members into line behind the Tories. My message to Labour supporters is simple. Join us. Help the Scottish Greens build a movement. stands for peace, equality, and climate action. We can do that together. Conference, I know the scale of the task and the challenge ahead of us, and I know how little time we have to do it. But when I look around this hall today, when I think of our movement, I am so proud. Proud of our party. 
the journey we are on and the impact we are having in our communities. Our Dumfries and Galloway branch, for example, are leading the change in their community. They have been at the forefront of saving local bus routes. And next week, they will host the first meeting of the new Bus Users Forum, uniting communities to push for a bus network that has people at its heart. Yeah. And then there are our incredible Scottish Green councillors. In Glasgow, Green councillors stopped the Tory and Labour coalition against change from wrecking the low emission zone. They protected LGBT plus inclusive education and now every school is set to offer Thai training. And to make our schools safe and welcoming spaces for trans and non-binary pupils and staff, further specific training is being rolled out for teachers. Kirsten Robb in South Lanarkshire has secured inclusive and accessible places to play. Alex Armitage has led the campaign in Shetland against new oil and gas developments off their coast, making clear the link between climate and health. While Christopher Leesk is leading Orkney's community wealth building task force and driving forward the just transition to a well-being economy. Our councillors delivering the change we need in their communities across Scotland. conference after 20 years in our parliament and at the forefront of our movement, I could not have a better ally, friend and colleague than Patrick Harvey. He has taken the voice of tenants into the heart of government and is delivering warmer, greener homes for people and families all over Scotland. I am delighted to introduce him to you as your next speaker. Thanks ever so much. It is always, always, always a pleasure to follow Lorna at our party conference. It's a delight to see everyone brought back together again. And Lorna, can I thank you not just for being a great colleague every day of the week, uh, but for telling that compelling story that you've just told about why we're in government and what we're achieving together as a movement. It's always uh, a delight as well, of course, to uh, have people come back together. We spend so much time staring at each other in, on screens in our online meetings these days, and I know there are people joining online as well, but there's something lovely about bringing members together at a party conference like this. And I, I know that it's normal for me to, to begin by saying a little bit more about where we are, and I think Mags in particular might have been looking forward to my glowing tribute to the wonderful city of Dunfermline. But Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I'm going to start somewhere else. I'm going to start in Rutherglen, because that's somewhere that Lorna and I, and more than a few people in the room here, have become very familiar with recently. We all know that a Westminster by-election is a tough one for us. First past the post forces many, many people to vote as though it's a two-horse race. But the expectations and the media exposure and the media pressure is on all parties. So I'd like to begin by asking conference to join with me in thanking our outstanding candidate in that by-election. Quite an experience for a first-time parliamentary candidate, but he rose to the occasion so well. Can you join me in thanking Cameron Eady and everyone who made up that team in Rutherford?
Cameron and everyone who took part in that campaign took our message to new voters that we maybe hadn't spoken to before, showing them that Greens stand up for climate and for nature, for action on hate and discrimination, and yes, for the role of young people in politics too. Building a strong green presence for future elections in an area where we'd never stood a constituency candidate before. And I was really struck throughout that by the number of people who said, yeah, they probably would vote for one of the, the big parties, one of the ones they thought were front runners in that by-election, but without very much enthusiasm and who would always give us their support under fair voting systems for Hollywood and the local elections. But Rutherglen also reminded me, and I think it needs to remind us all, of the work that we still have to do as we approach each election cycle. We need to learn from every experience of election campaigning and keep on improving how they're planned and how they're run. We know because we've learned the hard way what makes successful campaigns good, well-supported candidates, so that the experience is one that they want to repeat, and I hope you do. Well-organized, well-led teams on the ground who are committed to working together, and clear and consistent messages that, yes, resonate with people who care about the future, but messages that also relate to where they are right now in their lives and their priorities. When we learn these lessons, we continue to thrive and make sure that, uh, that we're able to achieve much more. And there's so much more that we need to achieve. Our voters want us to continue to thrive. They want us to make sure that we're in a position to put green ideas into practice, not just to make speeches for them, but to make decisions for them. For the last two decades, we've been growing and getting better but that journey is far from over, and now as a party of government, we need to continue to step up. In many ways, Scottish politics is more turbulent than it's been for those two decades. One of the few islands of stability in all of that is the consistent trend of record high poll ratings for the Scottish Greens. Over the last two years, poll after poll after poll showing our support in double digits and the predicted number of MSPs in double digits too, and that's on the back of that wonderful record return of councillors getting elected last year too. Green voters like what they're seeing, and at no time in our history have more people identified with and supported the Scottish Greens. Green ideas have never been more popular, have never been more urgent, and have never been more aligned with the greatest challenges of our time. And I think that's why the opposition to us is becoming ever more extreme, ever more personal, ever more bitter. From the right-wing press, from an utterly broken Tory party, and from the right-wing fringes of other parties, I don't think this hostility is driven by a, uh, a simple hostility to us personally as ministers or as MSPs or councillors or even to us as a party specifically. It's aimed at the core ideals of our movement, of a livable planet, of justice, equality and dignity for all people and of Scotland's right to decide its own future, not because of attachment to one flag or another, but because of a clear, compelling vision of what a green Scotland could be. And that's why our increasingly desperate opponents hate the Butte House Agreement so much. 
The people who most want the agreement to fail are the same people who rant on about an imaginary war on motorists. They're the people who fear that 20-minute neighbourhoods are a sinister conspiracy, who regard loft insulation as the front line of communism and whose hearts... <laughs> and whose hearts bleed for the oppressed landlords of Morningside. <laughs> and as Lorna said, these are people who even now, even as the world lurches from destructive fire to devastating flood, these are people who cheer on the fossil fuel industry in its destructive pursuit of new oil and gas. And every chance they get to sow division, they will seize it. Those whose goal is to get the Greens out of government would leave Scotland with higher rents, colder homes, more polluted air, busier, more dangerous streets, lower pay, and an ever more depleted natural world around us. Greens are here to stand against that bleak vision of the future and show that by our actions, not just our words, we can change it. So here we are today in what I think is a better place than we've ever been before. And yes, Mags, I do mean more than just Dunfermline. <laughs> I mean, I mean that as well. But if we're going to achieve everything that we need to achieve, to be ambitious as we need to be, it means going further and going faster because we know the clock is ticking ever louder. Lorna has already highlighted a lot of what we've achieved so far, but I think there's so much to shout about, and I want to restate some of it. The first ever green legislation from government, capping rents for tenants and restricting evictions, making our publicly owned rail system more affordable, regardless of what time of day you need to travel, driving forward fair work as a core part of how we do government in Scotland and against the backdrop of UK-imposed austerity of the two-child cap, the rape clause, the benefit sanctions and the bedroom tax, we've delivered the unique Scottish child payment, which has been described by the leading anti-poverty campaigner, Professor Danny Dorling, as the single policy intervention that has created the largest fall in child poverty anywhere in Europe for at least 40 years. I think we should be incredibly proud of that. And we've only just got started. From within government, we will be introducing a housing bill in 2024 to deliver rent controls and enhance tenants' rights far ahead of any other part of the UK. We'll be delivering increased funding for investment in walking, wheeling and cycling at levels that even our Dutch neighbours will envy. We'll be straining every sinew to produce a climate plan that rises to the challenge of the global climate emergency. That work never stops. Now, I know we're going to debate a lot of it over this weekend, but then we'll get back to work delivering more. 
On Monday coming, for example, I'm proud to say that new rules will be laid which guarantee places for trade unions on all college boards. A case... That's a case we've been making for years, and it's deliverable now because Greens are in government. And conference with Greens in government for the first time, we are changing Scotland for the better. But we're not alone on that journey. More than any other political cause, Greens are part of a global movement. We share with each other. We take strength from each other. Occasionally we disagree with each other, and we learn from each other. Our sister party in New Zealand, for example, has just emerged from that country's general election with a record high number of members of parliament. That's the second time in succession that they've increased in popularity, at the same time as being in government over two successive terms. Our friends in New Zealand show that we can have both achievement and ambition. We can be both challenging and cooperative. We can be both decision makers and movement builders. And it's not just connections that are forged uh, across the oceans that give us that strength of argument. In many parts of the world, we see some of the same bitter arguments being played out. Right-wing populism pitted against people and planet. In Germany, for example, over this summer, heat pumps heat pumps have become the new hate symbol of choice for the extreme far right, the climate change deniers on the far right. And here in the UK, a Prime Minister desperately clutching at anything he thinks might give his party a chance of clinging to power has once again chosen to copy the extremism of the far right. Only last month he had the gall to stand behind a podium with the slogan, long-term solutions for a brighter future, while reading a speech which amounted to a betrayal of current and future generations. They're undermining... They're undermining their own climate action. They're making ours that much harder as well. But the UK government really does have the power to make the transition to net zero more easy and affordable for people, like breaking the artificial pricing that takes cheap, clean, green, renewable electricity and forces people to pay more for it. That one policy change alone would have done more than any other to help people cut emissions and do it cheaply. And instead, he just watered down, delayed and downgraded climate action. A lot of that speech should just have been laughable. Some of his Tory colleagues trotting out absurd conspiracy theories, and he was reduced to inventing spurious, non-existent policies, and then immediately saying, I've scrapped it. (laughs) A vacuous Prime Minister with absolutely nothing real to say, not only betraying our future, not only betraying his own manifesto pledges, debasing the office that he holds. And conference, those will not be our choices in government. With Greens in government, Scotland will do what the science demands, what the public wants, and what our party is dedicated to. We'll press forward with climate action because any stalling on transforming, for example, how we heat our homes, 
would mean accepting the tyranny of volatile fossil fuel, global fossil fuel markets. And those markets operate in ways that only benefit brutal regimes and dictatorships. It would mean surrendering to the harshness of fuel poverty and turning away from heating our homes through clean, green energy produced here in Scotland. So, conference, those are not the choices I will make. In past decades, this country has made really dramatic heat transitions uh, on a huge scale. In the 60s and 70s, and the cloaks of coal smoke hanging over our towns and villages, that was transformed rapidly, and we must and will make such a dramatic transition again. Yesterday I published my annual report on the progress that we're making with that 21st century heat transition. Over the last year, we passed new regulations that mean from next April, all new buildings will be heated by zero emission sources. We provided support to 138,000 households. We've launched a new uh, version of a Warmer Home Scotland's programme. That's an over £700 million programme of funding to tackle fuel poverty. And we've revamped our grants and loans for replacing boilers with clean heating, the most generous package of support in the UK. And let's be absolutely clear about one aspect of this contrast between the UK and the Scottish approach. Last month, Rishi Sunak scrapped energy standards for private rented homes, consigning private tenants to colder homes and adding over £300 a year extra on their fuel bills. That is not the choice I'm making. Our path to a zero carbon future will not include abandoning Scotland's 300,000 private tenants to cold, damp homes, higher fuel bills and fuel poverty. That's why I'm confirming to you now that unlike Rishi Sunak, we won't scrap action on this. The heat in buildings bill, which I'll take through Parliament, will include new regulations to make sure landlords invest in the improvements that give tenants the warm, healthy homes that they deserve to live in. Friends, in the next few days, we're going to hit the halfway point of this current session of the Scottish Parliament, and it's a good chance to pause and take stock. With your overwhelming backing, we entered government with the SNP because we recognise that while we don't agree on everything, we do have common ground, and because reaching out for the common ground is always, always how we've worked, and it gets results. At a time of division the world over, we need politicians who will seek and find that common ground. And it's always been a core value of green politics. We share a common hunger for Scotland to be able to chart its own future. But ours is a different vision of independence to that of the SNPs. More radical, more decentralised, more eager to use the levers that independence gives us to achieve that greener and fairer Scotland. And so much of what's happened since 2014 has made this more urgent. Brexit, right-wing populism, the lurch of Labour to the right, ditching its principles at breakneck speed. All of this amplifies the urgency of being able to choose our own path forward. But I do share the frustration uh, that uh, too much time has been spent on discussing the, the how of independence, the questions of process, when we should be talking about why. 
because here and now our Parliament is already under threat. Time and again, over the last year, the Tories have lain waste to the idea of the union uh, as a partnership of equals, blocking long-awaited gender reform, destroying recycling ambitions, and cheerleading from the, the Scotland office in the shape of Alistair Jack as he tramples over devolution with all of the finesse of a toddler on a sugar rush. <laughs> And all too often, Labour, once the party of devolution, have been posted missing when it comes to defending our Parliament. So today we're right to offer Scotland a vision of a greener, fairer and independent Scotland to protect and expand Scotland's powers and to seek common ground with those who share those aims. The Butte House Agreement sets out that common ground. It also recognises the right to differ on NATO, on air travel, on economic growth and the pathway for oil and gas development. Most recently we've seen those differences, on views, uh, differences of views on the issue of local council funding. Now this is partly about the policy of a council tax freeze, also about how it was announced. And over the last week, Green MSPs and Green councillors have clearly expressed criticisms of the council tax freeze and asked challenging questions about what the phrase fully funded even means. But this whole issue only serves to highlight just how broken local government funding is. The long overdue need for fundamental reform is where this issue should go now and only with Greens in government will we be able to take it there. At his party conference the First Minister said he's committed to fundamental reform of local taxation. Those are words that we can welcome, but it's a piece of work that is long, long overdue. And that's why, since his announcement, we have secured the recognition of the First Minister that the process of reform now needs real momentum. So Green MSPs will make sure that over the same time period as this year's budget process, a timetable and way of working will be agreed so that by the end of this Parliament there will finally be a firm alternative put forward to complete the long overdue replacement of council tax. Need to be clear, getting agreement through that process is still going to be a challenge and Green councillors, we'll need you to play your part as well, leading the case for reform from within Scotland's councils as well. But it's only with Greens at the table that this progress is possible, to step away from government or to step away from working together on council tax as a shared policy concern would be to step away from any prospect of that reform. And colleagues, we have shown ourselves to be a party that delivers on reform. One of the landmark achievements of Greens in Parliament has been the provision of free bus travel for young people under the age of 22. It's a scheme that was secured from opposition through our cooperation on budgets, but designed and delivered by Greens in government. It's the difference between lining up policy and getting policy over the line. That under-22 bus travel policy has been truly transformative, and I know that we all feel just as passionately about extending the benefits uh, to others. That's why 
I'm delighted to announce today that we'll be working with the ferry operators to extend the National Ferry Concessionary Travel Scheme to all young people under the age of 22 who live on Scottish islands. There is a, a current scheme that covers 16 to 18 year olds, providing a, a set number of journeys each year. But as a result of this announcement, many more children and young people will benefit. It's yet another example of Greens in government determined to make all forms of public transport more affordable. But as well as that, some of the most vulnerable people in Scotland are those who are seeking asylum. And there has been an effective and widely supported campaign to highlight just how difficult it is for those members of our communities to access transport. Now, in Parliament, that's a cause that's been championed by uh, Mark Ruskell and by many councillors, including the excellent work done by Anthony Carroll in Glasgow. So I am really delighted to be able to announce today that we have agreed that the next Scottish budget will provide £2 million to allow asylum seekers resident in Scotland to access free bus travel. Once again, I need to be clear, making this a reality will take some time and it also means carefully considering any potential negative consequences for people that we're trying to support in light of the hostility that we know they face from the UK Government. But we now have a firm commitment to work through the necessary changes and achieve that end. And we'll need to step up pressure as well on the UK government, whether the current one or the next one, to do the right thing, to stop obsessing about cramming people who are seeking asylum onto barges and instead help them freely travel on buses. Conference with Greens in government, we are continuing to make a crucial difference for people, for planet. The achievements that Lorna and I have highlighted are your achievements. The challenges that we've described, that we face together, they're our shared responsibility to overcome. But the opportunity for the years ahead is to deliver on the full potential for green ideas to make Scotland better. Let's seize that opportunity. Thank you very much and have a fantastic conference. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast episode, so don't forget to subscribe. Check out our website, scottishindiepod.scot. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye now.